I want to wish you a very happy Father's Day. I know sometimes the work that you do in raising your kids or in spoiling your grandkids uh, tends to get underappreciated, and so I don't want that to be the case this morning. So I want to say a, a very happy Father's Day to every single father and grandfather here. And, and I'm going to say a special word for those of you who might have a, a churning in your stomach when Father's Day rolls around. Maybe uh, you grew up without a dad or, or uh, you grew up with a dad that uh, did not exemplify Christ's likeness, who, um, uh, and you, you, you hated your father. Uh, and so you don't view Father's Day as something to celebrate. I want you to know um, that you have a heavenly father who loves you, who cares about you, and who only knows how to give good gifts. And, and so today I want us to celebrate Father's Day. Um, I want to celebrate the, the men here who, who do a good job of, of living like Jesus and leading their families in the way that God uh, in, instructs them to. Uh, and I want every single one of us to know that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and cares about us. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to open up God's Word to hear from our Heavenly Father and see what He has to say for us this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are good, that you are uh, not the, the, the father that so many uh, of the fathers here on earth have, uh, have set, the example that they've set for us, God, but the, that you are good, that you are perfect, that you are uh, loving, God, that you care about every detail of our lives, that you only want to give us good gifts, God, I pray uh, that we would recognize that this morning. I pray that we would open up your word and we would hear from you as you begin to shape us and mold us into your image. God, instruct us this morning like a good father teaching us how to live and where to go. We love you. We praise you. And it's the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, uh, our students are going to be leaving for camp in less than 24 hours, which is great. Uh, me, when I was growing up, uh, camp always meant uh, far too much sugar and uh, far too few showers. And I don't know if that's still the case. Hopefully you guys uh, will take showers uh, and, and not eat too much sugar. Uh, but that was the case for me. But growing up, uh, camp was also a really good time to grow in my faith with the Lord. And I know that the students, uh, as they go off to camp, will be uh, encouraged in their walk with the Lord, will be strengthened, and will we'll come back better than when they left um, because of their time there at camp. But in order for that to happen, when growing up, the camps that I went to, we had rules. We had uh, a standard that we had to meet. And, and the number one rule at the camps growing up was no pranks. Zero tolerance, no pranks. And, and usually it was because pranks would escalate and you'd start a prank war and then people would get distracted from what they're supposed to learn. And so they had no tolerance for pranks, zero uh, zero tolerance whatsoever. In fact, if you pulled a prank, they would call your parents and have them drive the hour and a half to come get you, or they would drive you home themselves because there were no pranks, zero tolerance. Well, uh, my sophomore year of high school, naturally, uh, there was a junior who wanted to test the policy. And we get to camp, and we were at camp for, I'm not kidding you, three hours. Three hours. And this junior pulls out of his bag a, a, a can of Axe body spray, shakes it up, punctures it, and tosses it into the sophomore cabin like a smoke grenade uh, and runs away. And I don't know if you've ever smelled Axe body spray in large quantities, but it is toxic. Like, I'm pretty sure uh, it's going to kill me one day. Um, but we, it, we all got pulled aside, and, and we had only been in camp for a few hours. So they, they pulled them aside, and they said, hey, don't do it again. We have no, no tolerance for pranks. Well, this brilliant 
brilliant mastermind here, pulls out a second can of Axe body spray. And clearly, this guy was only coming to camp for pranks, and he had all year to plan whatever pranks he wanted to plan, and he only came up with the one idea, and he was just going to do it on repeat. And you can't get out of it. You know, you can't get away with it, doing the same prank that you just got caught for. But he pulls out a second can of Axe body spray, runs into our cabin, and just starts letting loose and spraying it everywhere. Uh, and so all of us got pulled aside. We're reminded of the rule of no pranks, and they called his parents to have them come pick him up and make a round trip that was going to be longer than the amount of time their son spent at camp. <laughs> no pranks. <laughs> there was a stand. Excuse me. There was a standard for our camps. If, if we wanted to be a camp where we had to follow the rules that the camp set before us, so that we could learn what we needed to learn and do what we needed to do. Well, if last week we stopped with Abraham, and we found out that God was calling for himself, making for himself a people from the line of Abraham. They were going to be his people. Uh, and, and now the Israelites reading this and understanding this, uh, they have to be wondering, what does it look like to be the people of God? What does it look like to be a people that God has called for himself? What, what's required of us as the people of God? And in Deuteronomy 6, where we're going to be this morning, God lays out a summary of what it means to be the people of God. He lays out a summary of what it looks like to be God's people. So let me catch us up on the Bible story as we're following along. Um, we talked again last week about Abraham and his son Isaac. Well, Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, one of his sons was named Judah, and his lineage is going to play a part in the story later. But for now, um, we're going to focus on another son named Joseph. Uh, and Joseph had this whole long ordeal, ended up in Egypt. And long story short, a famine forced Jacob and his other 11 sons to Egypt, where Joseph already was ahead of them. And they got to live in the land of Egypt with the Pharaoh's blessing, and they thrived there. Well, a few hundred years go by, and more Pharaohs come and go. And, and eventually a Pharaoh comes up who doesn't know anything about Joseph, doesn't know anything about the previous Pharaohs, doesn't know anything about their blessing. And so he sees these this massive group of Israelites living in Egypt, and he enslaves them. He thinks they're too powerful, too many people, and so he, he forces them into labor. And uh, that goes on for 400 years. The Israelites are, are trapped in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. So finally, God hears their cries. God sees their oppression, and through Moses and many signs and wonders, God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. He, he calls them out and brings them out of slavery to Egypt. The, he parts the waters of the sea that they come to so that they walk through on dry land. And he brings the sea back down on the army of the Egyptians. It's this whole ordeal. You've probably heard of it. Uh, and, and the Israelites are able to walk through uh, unscathed as God's people towards the promised land. He finally rescued them from slavery. And here they are now in the, the wilderness of Sinai at a mountain where God is coming to meet them physically, where the, the creator of all things is coming down to meet them physically. And, and they're wondering, probably after 400 years, are we still the people of God? Are, are, we, are, are we still on God's side? Is he still with us? And that's a good question to ask when God is coming down to meet you personally. Like, are we with him? <laughs> is he for us? Is he on our side? And, and in Exodus 19, God responds and leaves no doubt. He calls them his treasured possession. He calls Israel a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. 
He affirmed the promise that he made with Abraham 400 years before, that they uh, and that his people were going to be uh, a nation for himself, that he was going to be their God, and they were going to be his people. And they were going to have a special relationship with God. He affirmed the promise in Exodus 19. And in Exodus 20, God gives what, what is called the Ten Words, or what we know of as the Ten Commandments. So he affirms in Exodus 19, saying, you're my people. And in Exodus 20, he says, this is what that looks like. Here are all the laws, all the rules that, that, it, that you have to follow to be my people. And then the rest of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus, he gives a bunch of little laws that explain what those Ten Commandments look like in practice for the people of Israel. And so he says, you're my people, and this is what it means. This is what it looks like. You have to follow all of my commandments. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is repeating and rehashing those commandments for a new generation of Israelites. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses repeats the Ten Commandments. He, he reaffirms them for the new generation of Israelites, and that's where we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you in the great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God, and the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of your, the Lord shall be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. So we're going to see in Deuteronomy chapter six first is that God gives a commandment to His people. God gives commands to His people. I mean, look in verse one. This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it. Now this commandment, what he's referring to are the Ten Commandments that he just repeated. He's saying that God gave you these Ten Commandments. God gave Moses these Ten Commandments to give to the people of Israel so that they would follow them. This is what you have to do if you're going to be the people of God. This is the law. In the New Testament, when, when, uh, when Paul refers to the law, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the, the Ten Commandments and all of the little laws that followed it in the book of Exodus and the book of, uh, uh, of Leviticus. It's, it's the rules that God gives the people of Israel to say, hey, you're my people, this is what that means. You're my people, 
this is how you live. You're my people, this is how you're supposed to act. And, and we can summarize all of the laws of God, all of those commandments in one little phrase here in verse 4. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's a summary of the entire law of God. Every rule that he set forth, every law that he gave his people, you can summarize in that one command. Love your God completely. Love your God 100%. For, for a group of people who lived in a, a, a polytheistic society, a group of people who lived uh, in, in a culture that worshipped a ton of other gods, he's saying, get rid of all of them. Get rid of every other god and only worship me. He's saying, no more sinning. No more rebelling against your creator. No more doing what everybody has done since Genesis chapter 3. No more, no more going against God. No more pretending like you know better than he does. No more acting like, like you can worship God and worship other things. Love the Lord your God completely. And if you've grown up in church, that verse, that command is something that you've probably heard before. It's probably a really familiar verse, and, and I don't want to let our familiarity with the verse get in the way of understanding what God is saying. Like the, the weightiness and the heaviness of the command that God is, is, is saying here in Deuteronomy 6. You have to love the Lord your God 100%. If you notice, he says, all your heart, all your soul all your mind. There's no qualifier there, right? It's not most of your heart. It's not, not love God most of the time with most of your soul. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It is 100%. As I said, the Israelites were living in a society that was worshiping so many gods. They, they were worshiping so many other gods. God's telling them to get rid of every single one of them. Everything that they'd ever put hope in, everything that they'd ever sought to find life and peace in and satisfaction, and they had to get rid of all of it because the only thing that they were supposed to love was the Lord. If he were writing that to us today, he'd say something like, stop worshiping money. Because when you make money your aim, when you make money your ambition, you're making money an idol and you're worshiping money instead of worshiping the Lord. So you're not worshiping the Lord your God and loving him with all your heart. He would say something like, stop worshiping affirmation. Because when you design everything in your life to win the approval of other people, you're making other people your idols and you're loving them more than you're loving God. And so you're not loving God with all of your heart all of your soul and all of your might. He would say something like, stop worshiping relationships. Because when you are seeking life and satisfaction from another person, you're making that person your idol. And you're not loving the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. God's telling his people, hey, you want to be my people? What that means is love me with 100% of who you are. Do not love anything else more than you love me. Do not worship anything else. Worship me alone. Because the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There is one God and everything else is just a creature. So stop worshiping 
anything that's on the face of the earth. Stop worshiping anything that you can see and only devote your love and your worship and your adoration to God. God says, you're going to be my people, a Genesis 1 and 2 people who have a a genuine relationship with the Lord and whose job it is to, to bring about the redemption of the world. You're going to be my people and you're going to bring the world back to what it was in Genesis chapter 1. But if you're going to do that, you have to love me completely. 100%. There can be no distractions There can be nothing that gets in the way. God says that you have to love him with all of your heart. That's that's 100% of your inner being. You have to love him with all of your soul, all of of your emotion, all of your, your vitality, all of your life. You have to love him with every single bit of it. You have to love him with all of your might. Every action that you take, every every word that you say, everything that you do, it has to be motivated purely by the love that you have for the Lord. That's what he's telling the Israelites. That's my command. You want to be my people? You want to follow me? You want to have this special relationship with me in a way that nobody else in the world has? You want to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Then this is what it means. You have to love me. 100%. You have to love me without fail. It's about every moment of your life, every thought and every action, and needs to be motivated by the love that you have for me and nothing else. So that's his command. And he promises a blessing if you keep it. If you look in in verse 2, He says, he gives this command that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So what he promises there is what he promised to Abraham Uh, with his descendants. He promises that they would have a special relationship with God and that God would pour out upon them his blessings and his favor upon that nation. They would prosper as a people. I mean, their days would be long. Their their time in the land would be prosperous. Their their, their land would flow with milk and honey. They they would uh, have a prosperous and thriving future if if they followed the command. God promised he would pour out upon them all of his blessing and all of his favor if they would be his people and if they would follow his command. He he gives a little more specifics in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 28. We can get a closer look at what he means by this. He says in Deuteronomy, uh, beginning of uh, Deuteronomy 28, he says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of the cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. 
Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, and give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. That's pretty good. I mean, that's, that is a perfect existence. God promises if you follow the commands, if you, if you obey the commands, you will have my favor. You will be a blessed people, and you will experience all the blessings and the favor that comes from God. You'll experience the life and the vitality and the prosperity that comes when following Jesus. That, that's what you'll experience. If you, if you follow my commandment, you will, you will receive life. And you will live in a Genesis 1 and 2 reality, a reality that is, is free from pain, is free from sorrow, a reality that's free from devastation. You'll, you'll experience a great and beautiful and glorious life as a nation if you just follow my commandment. You will receive my blessing. You'll receive my favor. All you have to do is follow the command. All you have to do is keep your end of the covenant. God's saying, if you keep your end, I'll keep mine. <laughs> And if you follow through and keep this commandment, I'm going to pour out upon you my blessings and my favor forever. But on the flip side, if you don't keep the command, if you don't follow what God has told you to do, there'll be a curse. You see that in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord, your, the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. If you do not follow the command, if you do not obey what God has told you to do, if you pretend to be the people of God and do not follow his command, God says, I'm done with you. And all that you'll receive is the wrath of God and curse from God. If you say that you'll follow God and you say that you'll, you'll obey his commands and you do not perfectly follow the command of God, all that you will receive is curses and the wrath of God. 
as he said, he will destroy them off the face of the earth. That's why it's so imperative that they keep the command. That's why God says uh, in, in verse 6, these, uh, or Moses tells the people in verse 6, these things I'm telling you today, write them on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Always keep them in front of you because God requires 100% love and 100% obedience to his command. Because if you fall short, if you do not completely and fully obey the commands of God, you will incur from God his wrath and curses. He gets specific again in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll read you a section in verse 15. He says, If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the, the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make a pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight, and with mildew, and they shall uh, pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head will be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder from heaven. Dust shall come down until you are destroyed. And that's just the start of it. It gets worse. That is a whole chapter of curses. I read two paragraphs. God is, is, is saying there's a big deal if you do not follow through with this. If you do not perfectly, completely obey the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, you will only incur the wrath of God. All that will be left for you is curses and brokenness and pain and devastation. He eventually says, I'm going to kick you out of the land and you'll never experience my blessings if you fail to obey the command of God. And here's the thing. God requires 100% perfect obedience. He doesn't require mostly satisfactory obedience. He requires 100%. And if they fall short at one little point, then all that they incur is the wrath of God. All that they deserve and all that they earn are curses from God. God requires that if you're going to be a Genesis 1 and 2 people, if you're going to be a people who experience and receive the blessings and the favor of God, you have to be perfect. You have to be just like Adam and Eve before the fall. You can't rebel against God. You can't sin in one single moment. You have to be perfect because God requires perfect obedience. God is a righteous God, so he requires that his people be righteous 100%. His command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And if you fall short of that, at one single moment, God says, you have earned my wrath. You have earned curses for yourself. And here's where that 
hits us today. God requires righteousness for his people. So trust in Jesus for forgiveness. God requires perfection from his people. So trust in Jesus for salvation. We talked about it last week that you and I have the opportunity to become part of the people of God. You and I have the the opportunity to call ourselves children of God, sons and daughters of the creator. We we can be part of the people of God. It's not only reserved for people who are in Abraham's direct lineage. It is open and, and available for every single one of us. If you want to be part of the people of God, you can be part of the people of God. And the way to become part of the people of God, the way in is by faith in Jesus. And so when God gives this list of rules and he says, follow these and, I'll, and you'll have my favor, he's not giving us another way in. What he's doing is proving that there is no other way. He's proving that you cannot earn it no matter how hard you try. Because he gives these commands to the Israelites, he gives the commands to his people and says, if you follow every single one of these, you will earn my favor. And not one of them, not one Israelite was ever able to follow every single command. Not one person has ever been able to completely, fully follow God's command to love him with all of our heart all of our soul, and all of our minds. So every single Israelite and every single one of us deserves the wrath of God and curses from God. God requires perfection, and he gave the law as a mirror to show us that we need a Savior because we can't do it on our own. We're not supposed to look at the law and the Ten Commandments and say, hey, 8 out of 10 is pretty good. We're supposed to look at the Ten Commandments and say, I have fallen so far short of God's standard of perfection. That's why God built into the Old Testament law a series of sacrifices to point forward to the one who would pay for our, all the times that we've fallen short of God's standard of perfection. God requires perfection from us, and you can't do that, so trust in Jesus for salvation. Trust in Jesus for forgiveness from your sins. Trust in Jesus to give you and provide you the favor of God that you could never earn on your own. Some of you here are trying to earn the favor of God, or at least you're acting like you can. You would say, hey, I've never trusted in Jesus, but I'm, I'm a good person. I've never placed my faith in Jesus for salvation, but, but I'm a good person, and God's not going to send me to hell for that. And there are, there are people that deserve hell, but I'm, I'm not one of them. I'm a good person. But the problem is you're looking through it with the wrong lens. You cannot enjoy the, the life and the eternal relationship with God without being perfect. You cannot enjoy heaven where God is and eternal life and all the blessings and the favor of God without meeting his standard of perfection. And so if you don't meet that, then the only alternative is eternal separation from God in hell. What you have earned by falling short of God's standard of perfection is the wrath of God and his curses. Some of you will say I'm a good person and and that's the reason I need to go into heaven. What you need to do is hold up the law and recognize that you have fallen so far short of God's standard for what is good that you're in desperate need of a savior. Some of you say, well, I need to clean myself up before I can can put my faith in Jesus. I, I need to clean myself up before I get involved with the people of God. Newsflash. 
You will never be clean enough. You're never going to get yourself to the point where you're clean enough to earn the favor of God. It is only by Jesus that you have the favor of God. So trust in Jesus for salvation. Don't try to work your way into the favor of God. Don't try to work your way into the love of God. You have it because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Trust in Jesus for salvation. So many of us who are followers of Jesus know that we need Jesus for salvation, but then we go on and we live as if we can earn the favor of God day to day. And this has to be one of the most misunderstood parts of the Bible story because we take the law and we hold it up and we say, this is what I'm going to do every day. And we judge ourselves day to day, whether it was a good day or a bad day, whether or not we filled the law, whether or not we, we met all of the check boxes, whether or not we did everything that God asked of us today. That's not what the law is for. The law is built and designed to show you that you need a savior. That's the purpose of the law, not for you to hold it up and say, I'm going to earn God's favor today. You have the favor of God because of Jesus. That doesn't change day to day based on how you act. Because it's only by Jesus that you have the favor of God. You're not going to make God love you any more or any less. You're not going to somehow earn more favor one day and lose some favor the next. If you trust in Jesus, you'll have the favor of God. The law is not to be added to your faith to somehow make you feel better about yourself or think that you're doing better in the eyes of God. All that the law is designed to do is to show you that you are in desperate need of a Savior because God's standard is perfection. So trust in Jesus for the favor of God. I know that not one of you is going to meet the standard of perfection that God requires because nobody in the history of the world has other than Jesus. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he died on a cross be a sacrifice for you and me so that we could be given the favor of God and so that we can receive and experience all the blessings that come with being part of the people of God and we can enter into that by faith in Jesus. So trust in Jesus for salvation. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. In just a moment we're going to sing. Before we do that, I want to talk to those of you here who do not know Jesus. You might say you're a good person. You might say you, you're trying to clean yourself up. But I want to lovingly tell you that you desperately need a Savior. Because every single one of us, me, every person that you're sitting next to, everybody, everybody in this room, are all desperately broken, are all completely fractured, messed up people who are in desperate need of a savior. And you, you're part of that too. But God has made a way for you to experience eternal life. God has made a way for you to experience forgiveness from your sin. God has made a way for you to experience his favor and his blessing for all of eternity. And all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus. He did the work. He died for you. And he rose again so that you could have eternal life. So this morning, if you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, all I'm going to ask you to do is just look up. 
just look up at me, make eye contact. If you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time. So whether you're here searching, say I'm not ready to make a commitment yet, or, or you've claimed to place your faith in Jesus. The command is the same. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. If you're a believer, don't act like tomorrow God's going to love you more or less if you do something right or wrong. Live knowing that you have been set free from sin and death by the Savior of the world. Live in the life that God has given you and enjoy the favor of God every single day because of Jesus. Let me pray for us and we're going to sing. This morning, if you want to make a decision, come find me after the service. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have the favor of God. I thank you that you love us and you pour out upon us your blessings and your favor and that you will continue to pour that, uh, pour that out upon us for all of eternity. And one day we will live in an eternal paradise where you will pour out upon us all blessings, all riches, all grace, for all of eternity, God, I praise you for that. I thank you for that. And what's beautiful and what I know is that we didn't earn it. Not one of us will be there because we checked all of the boxes. Not one of us will be there because we were perfect. Every single one of us will be there worshiping you and praising you because it was Jesus that saved us. It was Jesus that opened the door for us to enter into the eternal kingdom of God. It was Jesus that opened the door for us to be called children, sons, and daughters of the Heavenly Father. It was Jesus who paid our debt, who paid our sin. It was Jesus who saved us. So we look forward to today, to the day when we're all worshiping you. And I pray, Father, that we would live today as people who have been redeemed. As people who have your favor because of Jesus, I pray that we would live with a conscious decision glorify you in our world because nothing else matters. And I pray it would be true that we would love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray.